On the show today, Rich and I are joined by Billy Newton to discuss his recent trip to Comic-Con and the joys of Superman. I'm your host, Brad Jackson. You're listening to the December 4th, 2023 edition of Coffee and Koshan. So, Rich, this week we are uh, we are joined by our friend Billy Newton. Billy, uh, I am so excited to talk to you today about your recent trip to Comic-Con. Um, this was a long and planning, big ordeal. You wrote this great lengthy piece about it at The Spectator, which has uh, incredible art, I might add, that goes with it. Um, but uh, before we get to the Comic-Con experience, let's talk first about your costume. So... Um, You've talked before about how you're a, a big Superman fan and you wanted to go um, uh, with an awesome Superman costume. Walk us through Walk us through what was the costume and how did you get from point A to point B? Because it sounds like this was quite elaborate. It, it was. Um, and, and first of all, thank you both for having me on the show again. I, I always enjoy spending time with you in, uh, in remote voice world uh the uh, this this project was something that i had wanted to do for a long time uh for for people who had followed me way back in the days when twitter was still fun um i had a difficult time at first trying to figure out how to get more followers to read my blogs and posts and so on and i noticed that people who had amusing or interesting profile pictures that they shared tended to accumulate more followers when that obviously was something that was important to people on social media. And I said, you know, what would be fun is if I would uh, dress up as Superman and do sort of mundane things around the house. And so I did a series of photographs of, me washing dishes, ironing, barbecuing, that sort of thing. And that's how I started getting traction um, on Twitter and then getting more followers for my blog back when I used to blog. And then one of the weird things that happened, which I, you know, did not expect was that I learned about this very unusual world of cosplay of people who dress up as characters from comic books and movies and video games and things and attend um, these conventions where they get to hang out with other people who dress up in this way and talk about, you know, how much they love Luke Skywalker or how much they love Super Mario or whatever it is. And a number of them started following me thinking that I was a cosplayer when all I had done was just gone on eBay and, you know, bought a, um, inexpensive Superman costume and, you know, did this as a lark. And then, um, I started noticing how creative they were and how interesting they were. I befriended a number of them. I ended up, um, interviewing one of them for a piece back on my blog. And I learned a lot about why different people got involved in this. Um, a lot of them were people who were very creative, but who worked in, let's say more mundane jobs that didn't really allow them to have a lot of creativity. Um, a number of them had felt at some point isolated or alienated at some point in their life. They may have been, um, in an abusive situation as a child. They may have suffered from some kind of trauma. Um, quite a few of them had discovered how to become healthy because they had become so unhealthy um, they may have been um, obese, they may have had substance abuse problems as a result of depression, and they found their way into this world where they were encouraged to get healthy, to eat better, to exercise, to avoid substance abuse, so they could dress up as Spider-Man or Wolverine or whatever it was. And I, I learned a lot about those, those people, and because I became friends with them, a number of them were inviting me to come to these conventions, right? Now, the largest of all of them is New York Comic-Con. Um, it is also the oldest because it was founded in the mid-1960s, which people don't realize. Um, and 
I was invited to attend that or the one that's in DC or other ones around the country. And I always sort of put it off and said, well, I'm not really a cosplayer and, you know, thanks, maybe someday, you know, that kind of thing. And then as happened to a lot of us, I expect, um, during COVID, we were all sort of trapped in our houses and thought about if I ever get out of here again, <laughs> what what am I going to do? What things have I been putting off that I need to do? And I said, you know, I'm going to do it. I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it or when I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And so about this time last year, I had just started writing for Spectator World and the editor whom I had at the time, because Spectator is a print magazine, needed to know in advance what I was intending to do because there are submission deadlines in order for things to get into particular issues. And so we would project, you know, four or five, six months into the future. And I had said, you know, I've always wanted to go to Comic-Con in New York, um, but not just to go. I, I actually want to have this cosplay experience of, you know, doing a high level costume like these guys do and then attending the event and seeing what that's like, because I think this is a form of performance art. And by that, I mean, it is in a similar vein to other types of events that people engage in, um, sometimes tied to historical things, sometimes tied to seasonal things. So, it's not unlike, for example, people who do civil war or revolutionary war reenactments, right? Where they, they get these uniforms and weapons and so on that are historically appropriate uh, to the particular period that they're doing. Or there are people who will attend, say, Carnival um, in New Orleans or Rio de Janeiro or something like that and do these incredibly elaborate costumes for that particular event. Um, Cosplay, for some reason, has always seemed to have, from people who don't participate in it, this kind of a negative association of that these people are losers in some way or that they are basement dwellers or that, you know, whatever it is. I, I don't quite understand why there's so much negativity that's associated with it from a certain perspective. And I remember when I announced that I was doing this on Twitter that people criticized me and said, why would you do this? This is something for losers, right? You shouldn't be doing this. This is so lowbrow. And I, of course, was then even more <laughs> determined to do this because I said, uh, well, since I don't really care what other people's opinions are, I'm even less concerned now as to whether or not people are going to be interested in this or not. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I was trying to come up with something that wasn't going to be an out-of-the-box um, or off the hanger sort of an outfit. And one of the things that I speak briefly about in the article is to let people understand that cosplay is not going to Walmart and buying a, you know, Thor in a bag um, that you can go out and go trick or treating on Halloween. Um, the people who do this at a very high level possibly are a little overly obsessed with detail, but you don't get to look like those people unless you are willing to put in a serious amount of time and effort into getting to look the way that you want to look, which is often incredibly complicated and requires a lot of moving parts. Um, you can easily, to try to get a suit like Henry Cavill's, for example, in one of the Superman movies, you can easily spend four or five thousand um, dollars just to get to that point, and depending on the details that you go for, even more. And that's just for soups, right? Like you know, for Batman, for people who have accessories, things like that, you can spend even more than that. Um, so a lot of these cosplayers who have this creativity in them learn how to make things themselves. Um, they will do, you know, 3D printing. They will learn how to do different kinds of painting, that sort of thing, um, sewing, etc. I, I don't have those skills. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that myself. And I said, but I also don't want to do something that's going to look like everyone else's. And what I decided to do was to take the um, 
inspiration because it was announced that um, Cavill was not going to be Superman anymore. Um, from his black suit that he wore in Justice League, which is my favorite Superman suit, and I've worn it before, um, and do a mashup with the wardrobe that he wore in the Showtime series, The Tudors, which is how most Americans became aware of him. Um, he had been around for a while before that, but you know he was quite young at the time. And the costumes for that show, although they were somewhat historically accurate, they were modified a little bit and made a little bit more modern. And his palette in particular was often very black on that show because he was kind of, you know, the bag man uh, for Henry VIII uh, going around doing things that Henry himself didn't want to get his hands dirty for. And I thought that would be a good sort of combination to try to come up with, you know, something that would be what they might have done for Cavill if they were doing Superman in the Tudor period. So I came up with a sketch that um, I sent to our friend Ben Dominich, who is mildly obsessed with the AI program Mid Journey. And mildly. I, <laughs> indeed. Um, and I had done a lot of art history research of portraits of that era. And I sent him my sketch and those things. And I said, can you feed in the prompts to Mid Journey and see what it spits out? And so it spit out all of these impossible <laughs> things that you, you know, sometimes you look at them and you're like, well, that would be great if I could do that, except that that isn't physically possible. Right. Um, and, but still as, as kind of uh, concept art, it was sort of helpful to have. And I then started sourcing all of the materials that I was going to need in order to be able to, uh, to put this together. Um, and it was a giant pain in the ass quite frankly, <laughs> um, because I was doing something that was not standard. And yet I had very specific ideas about what I wanted. And you can't just write to some costume maker and say, I want you to make me this from, you know, this mid journey image. I mean, you could, but, but it would be prohibitively expensive and take an enormous amount of time. So I did a sort of middle road of saying, what can I find of things that are ready made and then commission other things and sort of combine all of them to create um, this particular look. And so that took from, yeah, it took from February of this year until the very last piece arrived um, at the end of September. Um, and then Comic-Con was two weeks later. So it was, it was a long process getting this built. Okay, so when you think about the process that you went through for this, you were, you were saying that this becomes a labor of love for a lot of people. They learn all these new skills and everything. Or uh, like, like you, they source things they can get and then find people who are skilled and, and to provide the things they can't. Um, how, how did your appreciation for that whole community grow through this whole process? Um, I was very lucky from the outset when I, when I decided to do this and I got the green light for the magazine to do it, that I put together based on the context that I had you know, built up over time, what I ended up calling my, my cosplay council of a group of people, sort of a primary group of people and a secondary group of people um, some of whom were cosplayers or makers who were operating at a very high level. Um, you know, they're people who people hire to appear at events, for example, as, you know, a particular character, or they're people who are very well known in that community and they could connect me to people who, you know, oh, you should talk to so-and-so, that kind of thing. And then other people, you know, like Ben, for example, but also, um, my friend Matt, who's a professional photographer, um, and then also uh, another friend of mine, David Taylor in the UK, who's a specialist in portraits of the Tudor and Elizabethan periods in English art. Um, I could get their sort of genuine feedback as a non-cosplaying person, um, someone who you know maybe is aware of Comic Con but is not really involved in, in in that sort of world, and get their kind of feedback as to what they would think something ought to look like, or you know this could be better this way, or you might want to think about that. But that 
and as as very helpful as all of that was, and particularly with David Taylor, just you know, having that historical perspective and having his support to say this isn't as weird as you think it is, right? Because at various <laughs> points during this build, I said, "Is Tudor Superman the just the most daft, stupid? I don't know why I'm doing this. I can't find breaches, you know, like all this stuff." And I remember David at one point had said, and he was he was head of paintings for. Um, uh, Royal Scotland for a number of years. And he, and he said, you know, in the Tudor period, the reason the men in Tudor portraits are, um, look incredibly wide is because that was their sort of vision of, of kind of what it was like to be a lowercase s Superman, right? That you were supposed to be this big, wide, intimidating figure, like a linebacker, right? And that's why men's fashion looked the way that it did. Um, he said, so you're actually fitting into this, this whole idea of, you know, Henry VIII and his buddies all going around jousting and having all these adventures and wrestling and, you know, hunting and fishing and doing all this kind of just being a big sort of burly men, you know, and, and he said, this is totally fitting into that aesthetic. So, you know, you're fine. But when it came time to actually getting into the material stuff, um, some of the people that I dealt with were so unbelievably talented and all they do is work in one particular area that they really are artisans in a way that you didn't think exists anymore. Um, it's the sort of thing that you could imagine, for example, in the 19th century, that there was a man in your town who just made hats, right? Or who just made boots or who just made you know, horseshoe, whatever he specialized in doing. And you would go to him and you would say, I need this and I need, you know, to spend this much and I wanted to have these materials and that sort of thing. And you would have to wait, right? It's not instant gratification. And eventually you would get this customized thing that was exactly to your specifications. And that's for much of human history, that's how people got their clothes. That's how they got their furniture. That's how they got their vehicles, right? They were not something that you just went and bought off the shelf. And so as I started doing this research, I found that for certain elements of what I wanted, there were people who specialized in things. And one example of that is my cape because my cape kicked ass. I was stopped repeatedly both outside of Comic-Con and inside of Comic-Con and on the street in New York and told that is the most beautiful cape I've ever seen. <laughs> and the reason it was, was because um, I had contacted a friend in LA and I said, can you find out the dimensions for Henry's capes uh, in the films? Because anyone who's seen any of the, the Henry Cavill uh, Superman films knows that his cape is quite unusual. It is big. Um, it trails on the floor. It's very wide. It's not like the previous actors who've played Superman where it usually kind of hangs to, you know, about the mid calf or something like that. His capes are these big honking, you know, Leonidas level, uh, kind of things that billow out. And if you ever need a cape, as I found out, the place to go is Canada. Because the, <laughs> for some reason that was not clear to me at first, there are a number of seamstresses all over Canada who do nothing but make capes and cloaks. And I couldn't figure it out <laughs> at first because I said, why is this? And then eventually someone explained to me it's because, as we all know, Canada is quite cold. And you can't exactly wear a puffer jacket to a wedding if you're a bridesmaid. So they're all wearing these, you know, evening dresses, obviously, and Canada is bloody freezing six months out of the year. So you're not going to put on a parka to go to a wedding reception. You need a cloak or a cape in order to be able to look presentable, right? Um, when you are a bridesmaid or a page or a flower girl or whatever it is. And so there are these ladies all over Canada that that's all they do. And they have expanded that to also do things for people who do cosplay, for people who do historical reenactments, etc. So the first lady I had reached out to was in um, Ottawa. And I said, here are the dimensions 
that I need, and I need it to be black velvet, uh, you know, to be appropriate to the Renaissance. And she's at first said, I think I can do it. Let me get back to you. Um, and then she gets back to me and says, I can't find enough fabric to do this without a seam because this is so enormous. And I have some black velvet left, but the problem is, is that I've got to make 10 bridesmaid capes that were in the queue before you. And there's no way I can get this done in time because even if I ordered the fabric, I can't guarantee that I'm going to get it. So I said, okay. And then I had to start over again and I found um, this wonderful lady uh, Genevieve Comtois in uh, suburban Montreal. And I told her what I wanted and she didn't even blink. And she said, I can totally do it. I can do it without a seam. I can get it to you in the period of time that you want. I can get it to you in this particular budget. And I said, that's fantastic. And then she asked the question of questions, which I had not even considered was a possibility. She said, you want it lined, right? And I said, yes. And she said, do you want pockets? And you know, yeah. And you know how girls, like when they have to wear like nice dresses, like they're like, oh, your dress has pockets, right? Well, when you're a cosplayer, depending on whom you're playing, you have no pockets. Where are you going to put your wallet? Where are you going to put your phone? Where are you going to put your keys? Where, you, like you don't have pockets, right? You're wearing tights half the time, right? What, what are you going to do with your stuff? And I said, oh, yeah, 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 I, I, I want pockets. So the cape was not only ridiculously huge, but it was fully lined, and it had pockets on either side of the inside, so they weren't visible, that were each of them about the size of your hand. So you could easily wow. put your hands in there. It was about waist high, um, and I had my keys, my phone, you know, everything in there. And when people would stop me at Comic-Con and say, this is the most beautiful cape I've ever seen. And I would say, and it has pockets. <laughs> and they would lose their minds. They're like, oh my gosh, it has pockets. Like, like just, you know, <laughs> like total, like, you know, like nerd wow. level unlocked. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, so, so that was, that was a huge hit. Um, the, the most difficult thing though, for me to find, and, and, you know, I, it's, this was a very complicated build because obviously Renaissance clothing is, is very fancy. There's a lot of detail. And so with this particular build in terms of what the AI image generator spit out, it was the idea that I was going to have this kind of high collared, um, sort of velvet brocade undershirt with then partial uh, black steel armor and then the big puffy pants and then, um, you know, the tall boots and the tights and then this enormous cape and the blade because the Tudors, as you may know from many portraits of, you know, that particular period, whether it's Henry VIII or Thomas Cromwell or you know, Thomas More, they all wear these really big chains around their neck, right? So I was able to accumulate all of the other stuff. The, the armor um, ended up being uh, black leather, actually, rather than black steel, because I found a maker in Italy <laughs> who <laughs> makes this stuff, as wow. one does. Um, and then all the other black velvet stuff was more sort of standard Renaissance fair type things. Um, the, the riding boots... Ironically, I actually bought it at a flea market with uh, Neil and Rachel doing when I was down visiting them in Virginia Beach some months ago. <laughs> um, and yeah, everything just kind of came together, but the bling was really hard. And the bling was hard because if you want to get one of those chains like you see in those pictures or in movies like, you know, Man for All Seasons or on the Tudors, etc., most of them come in gold. And I didn't want to do that because I was doing the black and silver, you know, Superman um, costume, just, you know, Renaissance version of it. And I already had the logo. A guy in South Carolina made the logo for me, um, or emblem, I should say. And that was all black and silver. Uh, but I couldn't find someone who could make Renaissance jewelry in silver. And then eventually... I find this lady in Liverpool, England, <laughs> uh, Jennifer Lamb, uh, and she has a, uh, a shop that she runs online called the Enchanted Tudor Rose, where she makes 
historically accurate reproductions of um, Tudor period jewelry because she is a Tudor cosplayer. And so she has played um, uh, Queen Jane Seymour and others. Um, She's in a group of kind of loosely affiliated Tudor cosplayers that go to events in England uh, for different, you know, historical reasons or the holidays and things like that. And she does all of this beautiful work that I said, well, she's my last stop because if I can't get this, then I'm just going to have to ditch the bling, unfortunately. And I wrote to her and I said, you know, I'm looking for something that's going to work for this. But the problem is, is that all of your stuff is in gold and I really need something in silver. And the thing that I was particularly looking for, and you see this in both the Cromwell and the, the Thomas More portraits, is that the people who were sort of the king's men, like the, his sort of closer circle of friends whom he gave this bling to, the links in the chains that they wear around their necks are often shaped like giant letter S's. And I thought, well, that's appropriate, right? If I'm doing Tudor Superman, he needs to have, you know, this big, you know, chain made out of S's on it. And, um, and it was called a collar of S's and it was very popular, um, first with the house of Lancaster, um, then the house of York during the wars, of the roses, they didn't wear it. And then the Tudors came in and they brought it back. Um, so she said, I can only make one of my chains in silver and it's this one. And she sends me this picture and it's a collar of S's. And I'm like, that's exactly what I want. And she's like, what color do you want the stones to be? And I said, black, obviously. And she said, fine, done. So I had to wait because it's all made by hand. And then, you know, it has to come from England and so forth. So that arrived two weeks before Comic-Con. It was the last thing to appear. Um, But again, so many people stopped me at Comic-Con and said, you know, is that real? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's not actually you know, silver and garnets, but it's, you know, yeah, it's metal and it's crystal. It's not some plastic, you know, Burger King toy kind of thing. Um, And wearing that really makes a difference because it's kind of the final touch to the whole thing and you put it on and, you know, it has that metal sound when you walk and, you know, kind of the, the links clinking against each other and stuff. And, I don't know. Like there, the, again, it's part of this whole experience of cosplay of this stuff is real. Like, like you're not actually in a movie. You're not actually living 500 years ago, but that tactile quality and the, the workmanship that goes into this kind of stuff, whether it's a cape, whether it's armor, whether it's, you know, bling. Um, I gained a lot of respect for the people who, you know, kind of do, these sorts of projects for people because they're so time consuming and they're so carefully detailed and they really care about this stuff. It's not just some sort of cheap stuff that comes out of some red Chinese sweatshop. You know what I mean? Um, And the lady who made my cape, for example, when I asked her what was the strangest thing that she had ever done for a client, she said somebody wanted to go back to King Leonidas. Somebody wanted um, a version of his cloak, the big Spartan cloak that he wears in 300. But they wanted it battle-worn, so sort of from later on in the movie. And what she ended up having to do was she had to get this special heavy-grade linen, and then she had to sub-dye it so that it's, at the top it was bright red. But as it went down, it got dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And then she had to rag it, right, so that it was all kind of starting to fall apart and get all, you know, battle-worn and whatever. And then she had to make this leather harness thing so that he could wear it around the shoulder. And she said, um, because I had to form all of this on a mannequin and it had to kind of dry, etc. cetera, um, it sat out on the front lawn at the house for two days. And like, <laughs> the, the neighbors would like come by and take pictures of it and just be like, this is the weirdest thing, you know. Um, she, although she did say she's, I, she's a mom, I think she's a mom of three. I think, and she said, you know, what's fun is like when the kids come home, like, I think her kids are all under 10. And she said, when the kids come home from school with their friends or whatever, they don't want to play. They just want to go in my workshop. They're like, you know, what are you making? You know, it's like, oh, I'm making a cloak for Legolas, you know, or I'm making, you know, Hobbit capes or something like that. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. Cause kids just, you know, they just can't believe this stuff is real. You know, they see things on television or they see things in, you know, on film, um, but then to actually see it and be able to touch it in real life and, you know, that 
that kind of magic, I think, for children and seeing their 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 eyes light up when uh, when you come across them is is just it's a really wonderful experience. I certainly enjoyed that. Was there any point in the process where the first iteration of something that was sent to you after being fabricated, what was not quite right, or did the whole process just work uh, so that when you got your final costume that you put together yourself, it was all perfect. So I would say that the only thing that I messed up was in thinking that this was going to be easy to put on. Um, because <laughs> I ended up wearing this twice. I wore, I wore it to Comic-Con on, on the Saturday and Saturday is, is the big day. You know, it's over 200,000 people go to New York Comic-Con. And so Saturday is the big day when most of the cosplayers go. Um, but then I ended up wearing it again two weeks later to a Halloween party. And it took me no lie. It took me over half an hour to put it on and I wow. still needed help. I still needed help because I couldn't, I couldn't get all of it on. So when, when I went to Comic-Con, the photographer, um, Jeremy Cohen, that, that um, you know, came along from the magazine to take some pictures for us, um, he came to my hotel room uh, to pick me up, and I said, I can't finish getting this on. Can you help? Like, because my armor had so many straps and buckles on it to like, make it fit that I couldn't, you know, I'm not going to, dislocate my shoulder in order to, you know, like connect this thing on my back. So he had to help me with that. And then the same thing happened again when I went to the Halloween party. I like, I, I got into the Uber to go to my friend's house. But then when I got there, I went to his dad and I said, I'm so sorry. Would you mind just kind of strapping this in the back a little bit? Because I think it's going <laughs> to fall off. And it was easier to get out of because, you know, when you're determined to get out of something, even though it's basically a giant, you know, Renaissance straight jacket, like you figure a way to get out of it. But getting into it um, was way, I totally did not think that. I, I think that's the one mistake that I made because all the makers that I worked with, as long as you're very specific about, I want this, I don't want that. Um, they will work with you and say, you can't achieve what you think you want to achieve. You should go this way, right? And that was one of the things that I appreciated about this is that I didn't really have any mistakes. There wasn't really anything that arrived that when I opened the box or whatever, and I said, eh. you know, because I had done my homework, I had consulted with people who know what they're doing and said, what do you think about this option? What do you think about that option? Probably for people who are doing this for the first time um, and think that they're so smart that they can go about doing this just, you know, like they would go about buying a pair of shoes online or something like that. Those people are probably going to make mistakes. I, I think that you need a certain level of personal humility. And I don't mean that in the sense of patting myself on the back, but in the sense of being realistic and saying, you don't do this for a living. You don't work in the movie industry. You don't act on a stage, right? On, Broadway or somewhere else on a regular basis, you don't understand how this world works. So have a little personal humility when you're dealing with these makers and say, here's what I would like. What would you recommend? Right. And kind of take a step back and allow someone who's in an expert position to tell you, here's what I would do. Right. Um, respect the people who do make this stuff, who do work with this stuff, because if they're, you know, a legitimate maker, if they're running a legitimate business, they don't want to sell you a lemon. They want to sell you something that you're going to be proud to wear. And that as exactly happened with me, people said, where'd you get your armor? Where'd you get your boots? Where'd you get your shorts? Where'd you get your cape? You know, all that stuff. And you can say, oh, I work with so-and-so at such and such. And here's their contact info, right? Because rising tides and, you know, all boats and that sort of thing. I was very lucky. Now I will say, um, afterward, <laughs> I went back to the hotel starving because I didn't eat anything the entire day. I was so terrified because I'm like, how do I go to the bathroom? I mean, there was, <laughs> there was, there was no way that I could go to the bathroom because it took me half an hour to get into my clothes. How was I going to be able to go to the bathroom? 
So I, I was terrified to eat. I didn't eat anything. In fact, there's a picture in the magazine of me staring longingly at a hot dog stand because <laughs> we went out for a smoke break at one point and it was pouring with rain the whole day. And, and we just went out across the street from the Javits Center, which is where New York Comic Con's held. And there was a food stand on the corner and I'm like, oh, I'd really love a soft pretzel and a hot dog right now. But if I eat them, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom and I can't go to the bathroom. So I lived on just coffee and cigarettes the whole day. There was just no way I could, I could eat. And I got back to the hotel that evening and, um, you know, Ben had called and, you know, how did it go and all this sort of thing. And then my sister called and I talked to her and I said, I'm never doing this again. I, it, it is, it is so overwhelming. Just the entire experience of this. I, I don't ever want to do this again. This is ridiculous. Several days later, um, after doing what in law school we called the postmortem, right? When, you know, the exam's over and you talk to your friends about how it went. Um, I talked to the cosplayer people that had helped me out. And I sort of gave them my rundown of what I thought of the event and the experience of going to the event and everything. I actually changed my mind. And I said, you know what? I want to do it again. And I want to avoid the newbie mistakes that I made going the first time, because now I know what to do. And one of the newbie mistakes that I made to your point is that I came up with such an incredibly elaborate costume that was difficult to get into that. I don't ever want to do. (laughs) Um, and I don't want to build it myself either. And so I have already commissioned my costume for next year. (laughs) Um, and it will take about five minutes to put on unassisted because I have learned that lesson. I am never doing that again. So there you are. All right. You want to, you want to announce what you're going to go as next year? Uh, yes. Uh, I am going as I I decided and I will explain. Um, I said, I want to do the polar opposite of what I did this year. Now, next year, I don't intend to write an article about, you know, going through that experience. But one of the things that I took away from that event is that that event is an incredibly saturated creative event. I don't think people realize that. I think people think that they, people just go there to buy, you know, old comic books and, you know, action figures and stuff. It's not. Um, there, one of the things I point out in the article is that there was this entire room called artist alley that was the size of a concert hall with dozens and dozens and dozens of artists all of whom, you know, sitting there, they had paintings for sale, they had drawings for sale, um, you know, you, they prints. Um, you could bring, you know, copies of works of theirs and they would sign them for you. They'd talk to you about their art and stuff. I could barely spend any time in there. Now, part of the reason I could barely spend any time in there is because people kept bothering me all the time trying to take my picture, which I also talked about. But I could have spent hours in there talking to those people and I didn't do it. Um, the, the actual event itself, also has speakers that come, right? So there are various celebrities that show up, actors, directors, etc. that they will give discussion panels. And, you know, as a member of the press, you may have the opportunity to speak with them privately afterwards. So depending on whom that will be next year, um, I might want to see about if I want to do a piece about that. But the thing that I learned was you shouldn't cosplay and kind of work at the same time because the cosplay part is so absorbing that you can't really enjoy the commerce part. You can't really enjoy the fan part because it's the dreaded situation of the reporter becoming the story. And I don't want to do that again. So in order to keep it simple and to do the, as I said, the exact opposite of what I did this year, um, I did Renaissance Superman this year. I'm doing art deco Superman next year. And, (laughs) I thought about that because people forget that um, soups was invented in the 1930s. Yes. Um, the original character is, was kind of first created in 1932, although he wasn't quite what we think of now. He was sort of this evil genius. But by 1934, he is Clark Kent. He grows up. Uh, on this farm with Ma and Pa Kent, he moves to the big city of Metropolis and meets Lois Lane. So the fundamental parts of his backstory 
come into place in 1934, and then the first Superman comic appears in 1938. So he's much older than I think a lot of people realize, and he's really the foundation for what we think of as modern and contemporary comic books, right? Because then a few years, few years later we get Batman and we get these other characters, but he's really the first. And so I thought it would be fun if we could do a an art deco version of the Superman suit. So that particular period in the 1930s is the second sort of part of art deco. The first part of art deco is very geometric and it's very colorful. But the second part, if you look at cars from the 1930s or planes or ships or trains, what is it? It's streamlined, it's metallic, it's very little decoration, right? And I am going to do that. Um, I had found an AI image. I didn't have to ask Ben to do it this time. Um, and because of all these people that I've met through this process, um, I reached out to a number of makers and I said, here's what I want. And I have found this guy who gave me the best quote and totally understood what I wanted. And in fact, is taking it in a different direction than what I anticipated. There was one guy that I reached out to and he said, I can do this, but it's going to cost you $8,000. And I said, no, no. I mean, it does beautiful work, but I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, so, but the, the guy that I connected with when I pitched to him, what I wanted to do, um, said, not only do I want to do this, but I want to do it so badly that I'm going to knock off from the price that I just quoted you because I want to do it that much. This is such a great idea. So I was like, all right, so it is being made, but it sounds insane that I don't need this until October of next year and it's already being done. Um, and it's not because as I found out from various other Kryptonian brethren that I have come to know over the years around the country, um, you can wait a year and a half to get a suit. And that is, you know, where <laughs> I asked in November, I need it for October. So I'm actually cutting it kind of close. Uh, for some makers and some makers told me flat out, they're like, we have so many orders. There's just no, and there's no regulation in this industry. It's just somebody doing this in their basement or their garage, you know, um, maybe they have employees, maybe they don't. So I'm told that I will get this well before October and I have no reason to doubt Chris. He seems like a nice guy. Um, Genevieve already knows that she has to make my cape again next year, except it's going to be red instead of black. Um, and I have found a guy in the UK who is potentially going to make my boots uh, because they have to be red and you can't really just, you know, go to Nordstrom Rack and find a pair of neon red men's boots uh, <laughs> that you can just pick up whenever you want to. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing it. The one thing that I would say, we'll see if this comes out, but one of the things I specified to the maker um, is he's like, well, you know, this is going to be very austere. Like, you know, it's very streamlined. There's not a lot of detail. And I said, I know, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to chrome the whole friggin' thing. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I want the whole thing to be like, and I sent him these pictures, right, of like these beautiful chromed cars and, you know, ships and all this kind of stuff, right, from the 1930s. And I said, I want it to be, like this, you know, like a, like a car bumper from the old days. And he's like, well, how shiny do you want it to be? And I said, I want it so frigging bright and shiny that people are blinded when I go to Comic-Con and like, I, you know, the sunlight hits me and they're like, ah, like I can't even look at you. Right. Because anyone who is in costume that's going to be standing next to me is going to look great. If you've ever had professionally taken photographs, a lot of times photographers have these kind of um, aluminum line things to bounce light onto your face yes. to make you, yes. So essentially I'm it's going to be a costume of all be, that. Exactly. Because wow. there's no detail other than the S on the chest, right? It's all just this kind of aerodynamic body. And I'm basically going to be radiating light in all directions. So any other, you know, Spider-Man, Captain America, whoever, it's like, you want to take a picture with me? You're going to look great. Right. It's like, oh, wow. You know, I'm like, I'm beautifully lit, you know. So it's totally 
a selfish move just because I made the newbie mistake this time of having all these pictures taken of me alone, being a little bit shy of having my picture taken <laughs> with people. But then I never asked people to tag me. Right. Like I, I, there are all these pictures of me floating around out there somewhere that I, I've never seen. I found one on Instagram of some guy from Brazil that was like, Oh my gosh, like blah, blah, blah. And I happened to see him on Instagram and I went to his feet, but all these people took pictures with me and I described this in the article and I'm such a doofus that I'm like, I, I had my business cards with me. And I could have been like, you know, Hey, if you you know decide to post this, like, could you tag me? And you know, here it is like stay in touch, blah, blah, blah. And nothing. I didn't do any of it. And my cosplay friends were all like, you know, rookie mistake, right? Like you, you how are you going to see these pictures of you if you don't actually give them a way to like keep in touch with you? Like they probably thought you were just kind of being a little standoffish or something. It's like, uh, all right. So in order to compensate for that, and again, in order to have something that I just put the suit on, I put the cape, put the boots on, I'm done in five minutes, you know, not all this other stuff. Um, that's why I want to do this kind of more art deco thing. And uh, I also like the idea that, you know, New York is the capital of American art deco. And there is a particular bar restaurant that I like um, that has this unobstructed view of the Empire State Building that I want to go up there at night um, with, yes. you know, a few other cosplay people because that is going to kick ass. And I just want to have those pictures because I just like, you know, this is probably the last time I'm ever going to do this. And if I'm going to go out, then I'm going to go out, you know, big, basically. Billy, I got to say, this has been a lot of fun. (laughs) 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 Uh, it, It is it is a little daunting to hear about the whole process that you that you went through your cosplay council all these all these different people you had to get in contact with to do this but it i mean what an incredible journey i mean this is this is literally a journey like to to get to tudor superman to new york comic-con it was a legit journey and uh this just sounds so great i I love this story (laughs) Well, and well, one I, part of the journey. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Billy. Oh, no, go for it. Yeah. What uh, in the article, you did have a trial by fire that I would love to hear about. So you I wake did. up, it's the day of comic con and you had to make a repair to your suit. Uh, yeah. So I had been told by someone that the best way to attach my Superman emblem, which was this, flexible rubber thing onto the breastplate of my armor was to use Velcro because then that way I wouldn't ruin the armor underneath and it wouldn't be attached permanently. So I tried it at home and it worked and I said, okay, great. It's wonderful. But I had brought what I would call an emergency cosplay repair kit along with me because I had read horror stories of other people going to cons and having things falling apart on them as they, you know, arrive or whatever. So, you know, safety pins and glue and all this kind of stuff. So the morning of the con, I'm getting ready and my armor is hanging up and I hear this plop. And I said, (laughs) I know exactly what that is. And I go out of the bathroom and there is my emblem face down on the floor because the Velcro isn't sticking. And my photographer is coming in two hours, and I have no clue what I'm going to do. Now, fortunately, I had some Gorilla Glue, but I had never used Gorilla Glue before. And I looked at the package, and it said it needed 24 hours to cure. And I said, well, I have two. <laughs> so... We'll see what happens. And so I took the uh, hotel iron you know, they have in the closet and I put it down as a weight on top of it and I glued that thing down. And we went out in the rain and it held. It's still on there now. Uh, and I am so unbelievably lucky that it did. But the funny thing was when we got to the convention, at the entrances there are these kind of side areas where people were pinning themselves back together or taping themselves back together and like helping each other. Right. And I, and I found out later that there are various, this is quite common at these conventions that there are sometimes rooms with seamstresses in them that you just go in there and you're like, you know, oops, I split my pants. Right. And (laughs) they will fix it for you, you know, obviously for a fee on the spot. Um, But I just remember when we walked in, 
there was a Maleficent, uh, you know, from Disney who was helping these two little kids get their Hobbit stuff back together because I guess like some safety pins had come undone or whatever. And she was like trying to pin them back together. And I think that's one of the fun things of these cons is just these juxtapositions of things of people, you know, kind of helping each other and, and, you know, coming up with these costumes and, and sort of having a good time. And you see people being really creative. Um, and yet they also know that this is make believe, you know, the, the one, the people that I really enjoyed meeting are the ones who they enjoy it. They, you know, do work at a high level, but they're not full of themselves about it. They're sort of like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not Chris Hemsworth, you know, I'm not Angelina Jolie. Like I'm just, you know, doing this for fun because I enjoy it, you know, and I like talking to people about it. Um, but there is this community spirit to it. And one thing that I found out when I started telling people about my wardrobe malfunction was that that makes me a real cosplayer because so many of them have had that experience of showing up at a con and something falls off, right. Or something splits open or whatever it is. And they're like, Oh now what do I do? You know, so I feel like, you know, I've had my hazing and that I can, you know, genuinely say that I, you know, entered into the cosplay community in full spirit of the thing. All right. So to read all about this, uh, if you didn't get enough in, in this, you can read more about this in The Spectator. Uh, it's called Comic-Con with a Shakespearean twist. Uh, Billy, thanks so much. This has been just a grand old time. I have loved this. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank you for having me on. on.